Hello and welcome to the Folk Music Podcast. My name is Anders and this is the first episode in 2021. So uh, it's been a while since the last episode. Uh, I guess I um, needed a bit of a break to focus on other projects. But uh, it feels great to be back again. We have a bunch of really exciting guests lined up for the coming weeks. So can't wait to get started really. And we're kicking things off with a real treat. Today I'm speaking with Swedish legendary folk and world musician Ale Möller. And Ale is honestly one of my biggest musical heroes. So um, this is um, this is a really special episode to me. Mm, Ale has been playing with uh, folk musicians from around the world for almost 50 years. And he has this unique ability to make every project that he's involved in into something special, I think. Uh, I'm a big fan of his work with uh, Shetland fiddler Ali Bain uh, and his records with uh, Norwegian hardanger fiddle player Gunnar Stubside are also great. Um, not to mention his various uh, solo projects, which are really exciting. So, uh, yeah, this is um, I'm a big fan, <laughs> as you can hear. Now, in our conversation, we touch on a number of different things that relate to uh, folk music and its place in society. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure you'll come away from this conversation uh, feeling more curious about music and life. So, yeah. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Alle Möller. Okay, so I'm here with uh, Alle Möller. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And uh, it's uh, it's a real treat for me to be able to speak with you because um, I have to say you're you're actually one of my musical heroes. <laughs> and I mean, ever since I sort of stepped away from my uh, promising <laughs> career as a jazz musician and into the strange world of folk music, um, I've been like uh, in search of my own musical identity and who am I and what should I be doing and what am I even doing. And it's always been inspiring to watch you and see how you're able to mix all these different genres and do all this crazy stuff and still be able to maintain the sound of Alle Möller through all of these things. Um, and that's mainly what I would like to focus on today um, and try to understand your mindset when you go into all of these different things. Uh, but I do think that the best the best way to, to go about it is to kind of uh, start at the beginning of your musical career and, and talk about how it all started. And I, I realized that we can't touch on everything because you've been playing music for over 50 years and, <laughs> and we have to, uh, <laughs> we have to um, um, yeah, pick and choose a bit. But why don't we start at the beginning? Because as far as I understand, your first musical passion seems to have been jazz music. Is that correct? Yes, I mean, I, I grew up actually in a family, in a Danish-Norwegian family, where one of the, especially the Danish side, the Möller side, uh, there was a, a mantra saying, unfortunately, in this family, we don't have any musical talent, which ended <laughs> up that uh, coming to school, old-fashioned teacher at the uh, harmonium saying... Each and every one should go and sing a song, and mm -hmm. she should tell whether we had a musical talent or not. Oh, that's and quite brutal. Knowing <laughs> that how unmusical we the Millers were, 
I couldn't even find the first note. <laughs> you know. So uh, actually, I was expelled from all musical teaching for oh, the really? first years <laughs> because without any musical talent, and uh, that was the old days. Huh. Um, and knowing that, but uh, I, I was born 1955. And uh, in my generation, music, of course, meant a lot, like it does to to all generations nowadays. That has changed a bit. I mean, okay. sorry, what, it's what interesting you, what, to what see you mean by that, that we now have generational music, which is quite a new thing. Okay. For yeah. I mean, in in the days of my grandfather's, um, it wasn't like that. People were sharing the same kind of music, although I mean preferences could be different and so on. But still, but from let's say from my age or, or from uh, my older siblings, the Elvis Elvis generation, music has been used to divide generations from each other. Each generation should have their own music. Exactly, and uh, that's very. We, maybe we can come back to that because um, it goes very opposite the idea of a tradition. Anyway. Mm. Um, so, so I find out that a boy with a guitar it's much more popular than a boy without a guitar. So I yeah. started to play the guitar, <laughs> and a, and I played pop tunes and and things like that um, for, for quite quite a time. And I thought I was I played the electric guitar and I thought I was very good. I was very good. I thought. Yeah. And then. <laughs> I, I had a stupid idea because someone came up to me after a concert many years later and said, look, I recorded your school band back in, you know, whatever, back in the old days. Would okay. you like a copy of that recording? And unfortunately, I said yes. Which I, <laughs> I shouldn't have done that because now I, re I realize I was a really crappy electric guitar player. Yeah. Jumping and down, uh, up and down on the guitar, trying to do riffs that I couldn't handle. So I wasn't very good, but uh, I was lucky. I, I was 15 when I was on my first. That is actually uh, I'm 65, so that was 50 years ago. Oh great! 50 years ago, I went on <laughs> tour for the first time, huh. and uh, with a theater group, we played wonderful music of Kurt Weil. He's he's one of my heroes. He's a great composer. Mm. The uh, the uh, what's it called in English? It's called uh, the Three Penny Opera, something like that. Anyway, yeah. mm. um, I played some banjo and I played the guitar, but there was a trumpeter in in the group, and I really fell in love with that instrument mm. and uh, started to play jazz. So we have roughly the same background. I played jazz for many years, and I just loved it. I'm yeah. still in love with that music, but I don't play it anymore. And I, I read that one of your uh, jazz heroes was uh, Clifford Brown, the, the trumpet player. Which he's uh, a guru. He's a guru. He's still a guru. I, I listened the other day to some of his solos and his mm. idea, his mindset. Wow, Clifford is a hero. Mm. There are ma many heroes. A storytelling wise, Billie Holiday is still my great hero, mm. and she she comes very often back to me and helps me with playing folk music, fiddle music, oh, because really? it's all about telling a story through a melody. You have a melody and you should be able to tell a story. So Billy is still a great help. Mm, right. So, um, but I'm guessing you kind of imagine the future as a jazz musician at some point? Yes, I'm, I mean, the, the love for jazz and uh, the attitudes and stuff like that. Uh, 
really is is wonderful but i regarded it to be a tough job actually mm-hmm. and also in the environment where i grew up in malmo south sweden uh there was a lot, lot of competition and there's something about that differs from where uh, socially uh, you have your base in jazz music you can find different styles but in some of them they are competing a lot you should the one who can play hardest and fastest is always the best and uh, and can make other people feel bad and i i noticed some people feeling really bad yeah. about not being able to do the toughest of the toughest things and like whenever so, someone goes at the uh, goes to the goes to a jam session it's always about like it's your turn to to take a solo let's show everyone how how good of a player you are and all the nerds take notes and it's like it's it's a lot of pressure maybe something like that yeah. a lot of pressure and and also uh, there's a lack of compassion in in that sense but i also met other jazz musicians that really had the opposite attitude and really embraced me and i was lucky to to play with one of my heroes a few of my heroes that they were let's say 10 or 15 years older Mm. And uh, I'm still very grateful to them because they uh, taught me so much. But there is something about that. Let's go to jam session and see how bad the the others are, and hopefully they will make a lot of mistakes. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so, um, but also I grew up uh, in an environment in in Malmo where people were really interested. Many of the people I played with, they they let's say they played jazz, but they also had an interest for let's say classical music, and they showed me, look, listen to this music. It's Stravinsky. This is Sibelius. It's great music. Listen to this. This is a troubadour, um, and you will. This is Cornelis Reswick. He's he's great. He's jazzy, man. Listen, and yeah. so on. And also, um, uh, one of them, um, a saxophone hero of mine. Christo Bustet, he took me to some uh, traditional fiddlers, folk musicians, and said, "These cats are hip. You should listen to these cats." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it seems like uh, that sort of era uh, was uh, very like people were very open to new impulses and uh, different types of music and cultures and all that stuff. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was lucky. My I had my uh, teenage years in a in a time where everything was very open. Mm. And uh, honestly, the the most important thing you can tell uh, the kids is about music is being open, mm. open minded. Mm. And uh, I'm so grateful because I had some of my heroes, my older playmates. They had uh, definitely they taught me that. Listen, no, no, that's cool. But li- how about this? Listen, this is music from Bulgaria. This is, you know, mm. and uh, I remember once I was listening. To, uh, that was a radio program, and uh, and there was a shepherd from Northern Ap- Africa playing a little flute like this. I think he had just like two or three fingering holes. Okay, <laughs> and he played up and down that scale, and I realized goosebumps all over my body, and since. My heroes like Charlie Parker, he could also give me goosebumps, but he needed hundreds of notes to do yeah. it, and this guy could do it with three notes. Mm. That was amazing. I learned a lot that day. That he wasn't better than Charlie Parker, but Charlie Parker wasn't better than the other guy. They just were different, and yeah. um, that's the magic of music. Mm. Oh, that's that's interesting. Like I had similar. 
a similar revelation, I think, when I kind of got out of that whole jazz bubble because, you know, I, I went to university, studied jazz for a number of years, and when you're in that kind of environment, everything is about, like, who knows the highest number of scales and I have to be able to, to play very complicated licks over all of these different chords, and you get into this mindset that it's all about the music being complicated, and then all of a sudden I just heard uh, someone play a really simple pop song, and as you say, like... It just sounded amazing to me, and and I realized I couldn't do that, even though I knew all of these scales mm-hmm. and all of these fancy licks. And yeah, so that I can definitely relate to that experience that you have. That that's yeah, it's not better than the other. It's just different, and every thing has its own thing to it. If you <laughs> exactly, it's it's a in a way a matter of musical ecology. Mm. Everything is needed. I had so much prejudice when I was younger. I, I thought that, let's say, um, the harmonica, no, the accordion. I mean, the accordion was was a crappy instrument, stupid yeah. instrument. Mm. And then I heard this great guy from Finland, and also a Swedish guy, really into that music, playing the old-fashioned dance music, in a way that was striking. I mean, this these guys were playing. That was a, a late night in Malmo. They just met and played for hours and hours and hours. And uh, the melodies, roughly simple, but with what feeling they had. Mm. I thought that country music, as a jazz musician, you think country music is stupid, boring, yeah. full of, of attitude and, uh, you know, formula. And then I was in a shop. <laughs> I was shopping and I heard something in, in, the, uh, in the loudspeakers of, of the shop. And I realized... This is probably Dolly Parton, mm. and she was great. Yeah, she's amazing. She yes. had really power and and really knew what she wanted to tell a story. Mm. So then I realized, okay, sh- shut up, wrong again. Yeah, country music is not. It's just like all other music. Could mm. be wonderful. Could be crappy. Could exactly. be wonderful. Mm. But switching off my telephone. <laughs> There we go. Flight mode is a great mode. Exactly. <laughs> so, but uh, I know that somehow you ended up with a passion for Greek music. Uh, can yes, you tell that a little was bit just by that... luck. I, I was uh, in a program, uh, playing a radio program, and we had some kind of folky thing. And uh, since I knew guitar and stuff, I borrowed uh, a bouzouki from a friend that has been to. Uh, he had. Uh, he came back from uh, from holidays in in Greece. And uh, now I know that that's the kind of instrument the Greeks would call bouzouki plastico or bouzouki turistico. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> I didn't know that. I just played along and did some strumming things. And I had a phone call. They called me and there were some Greek people in my hometown, Malmo. And they said, wow, you must be a wonderful person because you play the bouzouki. Yeah. <laughs> and, okay, is that... <laughs> The definition of, of a beautiful person. So how about coming? There was the Megalo uh, of the Mother, the uh, the Easter time, the, the Easter week, and they so did they uh, invited me to to the party, and I, and there I met this great bouzouki player, that became my he became my teacher, he became my friend for many years. I just fell in love with that melancholy in in the that's the style of Greek music they call rebetica. Mm-hmm. Rebetico music, and uh, that was lovely. It was just like I—I I always find that music and love goes very closely. 
and mm. to fall in love in a musical sense uh, opens the same feelings as as falling in love with well a fellow human being but you, so, it, but did it feel intimidating embarking on a totally different musical genre at that time like uh, no no i never i've never had that problem it's it's like you can say how can you leave your your first instrument and start all over again mm. I, i'm not starting all over again i'm just approaching music from a different angle mm. so uh, to me i never had the feeling of starting all over and I always had the feeling that I'm a learner and a teacher at the same time. Okay. If you and I meet, you can teach me a lot of things that I do not know. And mm. I could probably teach you a lot of things that you do not know. That's about being musicians. So that mm. makes it so wonderful to meet other. And uh, especially for me, since I've traveled, traveled to different cultures in the world, I'm always a teacher and a learner at the same time. Hmm. That's a great... So, uh, no, I never had that feeling. Just, just wonderful. Starting with that music, hmm, a new instrument, a new kind of music, but hmm. music. Exactly. Huh. Um, but uh, let's just uh, uh, let's just uh, fast forward, because what happens is that you take this new instrument that you've learned the bouzouki, and you start to introduce that to the Swedish folk scene. Um, can you say a little bit about how that happened and how you got that idea? Yes, uh, I was playing and had a wonderful time in Greece and I played in small tavernas. I played in, uh, I also was touring with a very famous composer, Mikis Theodorakis, one of the big heroes of, of Greek music in, uh, I mean, sports arenas and everybody knew his songs and uh and also at the tavernas, I, 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 for the first time, I realized what is happening. Something I had a very strong feeling, and I realized I'm in a place where there is a common, strong culture that everybody knows, that actually keeps people together, hmm. uh, and uh, that through music and through culture, you are connecting with generations that generations gone and generations coming mm. so that was a very strong feeling and at first i didn't realize it was just something fantastic and wonderful about being in, in greece and playing and also playing among in, immigrants in sweden and norway you know i was playing around and and everywhere i felt like i'm a wizard with my bouzouki because i do like this and everybody would start dancing i do like they would start crying i learned how much that music meant to them Mm. And um, it came to an end where I realized that I'm not connecting myself with my history, with my family story, and and so on. Let's say let's say music is attrition. Music is uh, like a chain where every generation adds a new ring to the chain. Mm. And uh, and I realized that I'm not connecting with my personal story through that chain. And uh, it ended up that I, I I lost all the spirit for playing, and I stopped playing for half a year. Oh, really? I came back to Sweden, and I, I said to myself, what can I do? Uh, and uh, I, start, I started wondering, there must have been music here in the early days. What did my grandparents and their grandparents listen to? And um, So at that point, you didn't that know was, anything about Swedish music? 
Not very much. Of course, you know, because you've seen it on television. And as soon as the king should walk from a limousine into a house on a red carpet, there will be some fiddlers playing, you know. Yeah, with national costumes and stuff. It didn't mean anything to me. No. (laughs) I was really a city boy and very far from. I knew most music from America, but nothing from from the Nordic countries. Um, But I realized that the accordion was an instrument that was played earlier on very much connected to my my let's say my parents generation mm. and so i bought an accordion and i felt so stupid and hoping that my bebop friends wouldn't know what i was doing <laughs> i uh, i was sitting in my flat you know wouldn't open the door just <laughs> behind the curtain and, and practicing i, I learned learned a few songs mm. waltzes i never played waltzes before so i learned some waltzes and i said if i'm in a taverna in Greece, I just take my instrument. I take the bouzouki and I start playing and something will happen immediately. Mm. It's, mm. it's wonderful. So I said, let's try the same thing with the accordion and see if there is a tradition here. Okay. So I walked to, to uh, Möllevangstoy, the square where, let's say, ordinary people live, working class district. I, I took the uh, accordion, again, hoping that crossing fingers no jazz friends around, and I played those waltzes. I thought they were old Swedish waltzes, but happened to be one Norwegian, the Need Elven, yeah. and there was an American, uh, which is that. Good night, Irene. Good night, Irene. But still, waltzes and and a Swedish waltz as well. I played it, and I made some friends. It something happened. You know what happened was that some. Old uh, elderly gentlemen came over to the park bench where I was sitting, and they were smelling like you know, a, a camping, you know, yeah, because they were drinking and that kind of stuff, and they loved my music. Uh, hmm. But on the other hand, so so they were asking, "Do you know this tune, this tune, this tune?" They were asking, and I realized, no, I do not know this music. Hmm. Uh, I'm just a visitor. So I realized that there is a tradition, but at the same time, I felt this is the end of my career. I'm sitting here with, with some alcoholics on in a park <laughs> bench and playing the accordion. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> that was a tough day. But it was a, a beginning of a journey that, that um, I'm still on. And um, like you said, I'm... I realized that before the accordion, I like the accordion music. That is, a, let's say, folk music of a more modern, contemporary uh, folk music, not from the, uh, uh, let's say, from the industrial era. Yeah. And and I, I like it. And it's, some of the players are very good and so on. But I also heard the, the older fiddle music, which to me really struck me that this is fantastic music closer to my heart mm. and also I could hear many of the the um, the modal attitude that I learned in Greece uh, the different scales and uh, complicated intricate rhythms and mm. stuff that I loved as a jazz musician and so on I just fell in love with that music and I I connected with with folk musicians and, and said teach me like you said They said you should play the fiddle because fiddle is the dominating instrument in Scandinavian traditional music. Mm. And it's also mainly as mainly like a solo tradition. It's not usually played uh, with chords and rhythm instruments and. Yeah. 
at least very much like that so it's very different mm. and uh, and uh, but i said i was quite stubborn because i said i play these greek instruments and they are let's say there are thousands and thousands of greek immigrants living in sweden that must of course we should hear that in the music uh, i never i never had the idea that this that music needs to be old which is quite uh, strange with folk music in especially especially Sweden and Norway it had a very very narrow definition of folk music if you come to Denmark of course Bob Dylan is a folk musician yeah. in Sweden and Norway it's just fiddling uh, which is quite quite unnatural uh, yeah and and, and the word, the word, the word folkmusik like folk music in Norwegian yeah as you said it means something different than folk music in it means maybe it's more something more like traditional music, or or even that it's it's hard to compare. Like as you said, Bob Dylan is not. Uh, we wouldn't call that folk music in Norway. That would be, I don't, I don't even know, like pop, <laughs> something different. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I, I'm I'm telling you, when I'm a teacher, you know, I'm I'm also a university professor nowadays, and I I tell my students that Norway and Sweden is exceptional in the world world because we had this very very narrow definition of what is folk music mm. uh, to me folk music should be an umbrella under which there are different forms of of music um, including singer songwriters of course and uh, and the traditional fiddling the accordion music uh, and so on okay but the, here's, the, here's the music the, of the shepherds here's the challenge like what is folk music to you then like can you give uh, like a brief definition? Yes, I would say it's an umbrella. Um, how would you say in English? It's samlingsbegrepp. Uh, it's a term that defines different <laughs> things. <laughs> Not easy. Let's let's call it an umbrella. Yeah. Uh, under which there are different forms of music. Uh, one of which is the the fiddling music. So instead of the, that subgenre being the whole genre, it should be uh, a subgenre under uh, the umbrella of folk music. Mm. And and there you would find definitely more contemporary forms like like the accordion music of of the fifties and the sixties, and uh, and you should have singer songwriters and and a lot of stuff that could be underneath that umbrella uh, i would find that i find that very very natural and that's the way it's def defined in most places in the world hmm. that's interesting so it's norway and sweden is very very strange weird i would say <laughs> yeah i, I, uh, I want that sense. Uh, <laughs> i want to disagree <laughs> No, yeah, this I is think your pod, so you have to be responsible uh, yeah. <laughs> for what I say. <laughs> no, but I think you're no, right. I, like I, I definitely mean it. My love for the, my passion for the music is is total. But I really find the the way we define this music and the way we talk about it is is very strange in in, in our part of the world. Do you think it's limiting the 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 potential of the music in some way? Yes, okay. very much so. Very much so, because it's so much telling you what you shouldn't do instead mm. of telling you about possibilities. And uh, there are too many rules about right and wrong. You find that in every kind of music, and it's mm. always very limiting. 
so to me, right and wrong are words that shouldn't be in the same room as music. No. I good agree. and bad, I accept good and bad, and especially I like it, I do not like it. That's because I've had so much criticism for, for when I was trying to modernize folk music. Can you imagine that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I always told them, if you say, I don't like your way of playing, mm. I say, you're fine. that's fine with me. Mm. Uh, and often I would go telling them, I like your way of playing, but you don't like mine. That's mm. okay. But you shouldn't tell me what is right and wrong and what I'm allowed to do and not to do. No. But anyway, coming back to the buzuki, should I go back to uh, the Greek buzuki and folk music? Yes, let's. I'm, I'm wondering, were, were, were you uh, inspired by uh, by the Irish players at some point, like Andy Irvine and uh, uh, and Alec Finn, those guys? Were you aware of them? No, uh, for some reason I never listened. No, at that time I haven't hadn't heard that music. Okay. The um, the Irish revival. Uh, and that's strange because it's no, you know, I was into jazz and then the Greek stuff, and I couldn't listen to any other thing. Mm. So I didn't know what they were doing until later on. Someone gave me a record with with Andy and and uh, Paul Brady, and I said to myself, "This is fantastic. These these musicians are really great," and I could get a lot of inspiration. But strangely enough, that was years after i started doing the same thing they yeah. were they were before me and uh, but then i started to uh, also because i met them and uh, and uh, and liked them a lot and their work mm. and i remember i said in a in an interview in a paper i said they called me the donald lundy of Swedish folk music. Yeah, I've seen that. Uh... And I said, I had a comment and said, I'm very proud if that it was, if you name me that. And then someone sent sent me a, a copy of an article from a, from an Irish paper, say that, where it said, I'm proud to be the Ali Muller of Irish music. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that was Donald <laughs> paying back. Great. Uh, so, uh, and. Uh, Great works, wonderful musicians, and mm. uh, really inspiring uh, what they have done, the revival. We are reviving music, mm. and uh, and uh, we have a lot to learn from each other. Also, the Greek revival, very strong, very mm. inspiring. But that's interesting that you you guys were on sign of kind of similar paths in your respective cultures and countries. Um, But, but they were they were before. Yeah. I mean, they started earlier, so it was very much easier for me to listen to them. So it was later on. Mm. I wasn't at all a part of them starting doing these things. No. But then we have had connection and and listened to each other. Exactly. But um, yeah, how did you start on when you wanted to get into uh, into the Swedish music? I I think I read that you moved to Dalarna. Is that correct? I did. But I also met, uh, as I said before, I come from Malmo in in the south, in the district of Skåne, and they also had great players. And I met mm. some uh, some good friends there, and we started a band, the Fila Folket. And um, so uh, I also had my years in the south. But some of my really good heroes on the fi- on fiddling was in based in mid Sweden in Dalarna, in that region where tradition is very strong. Mm. So I moved up there and just uh, called them and said, Can, "Could you teach me?" 
and I made some great friends. And uh, I, I, I wanted to use the bouzouki. The bouzouki has a quite sharp tone. The bouzouki is meant to be very powerful and actually having the lead of a band. Yeah. So it's a leading instrument, mm. like the saxophone or the trumpet in a, in a jazz band. So uh, to some extent, I had the feeling that I was sort of competing with a fiddle. And if you learn that music, fiddle has to be in the middle. You could play it on other instruments, but mm. it's from the fiddle that you will learn. Yeah. So I wanted to have a more mellow sounding instrument, uh, uh, something a little richer, uh, of a different kind. And uh, I started looking for instruments, and someone showed me an English-built sitan, yeah. uh, coming from the from the Celtic folk revival. I, I, find, I find the naming of these instruments to be very confusing. Like, is it a sitern or a bouzouki or a mandola or an octave mandolin? Or, <laughs> but, yes. but but we're talking You're about right. in, but but this is a flat-backed instrument that that you're referring to now. Yes, yeah. because. Uh, uh, and, and that in, in contrast with the Greek bouzouki, which is different, more of a mandolin type uh, or the Turkish sas and so on. Mm. Uh, uh, but these are flatbacks. Uh, I think they were flatbacks just because they knew how to make flatback instruments. When uh, Andy and those people came back from from uh, from the Mediterranean with their new ideas, it was mm. easier to make those kind of instruments. But they work very fine. Mm. And I, I ordered a few instruments from uh, Stefan Sobel, a great instrument maker in, in Hexham, in the Lake District. And uh, when I went, got there to pick up my instrument, I, I gave a concert at the local pub. And Stefan said afterwards, oh, it's a pity I haven't heard you playing before I made the instrument, because I think you need a slightly different instrument. Oh, really? Huh. Uh, because the Irish style is strumming. They want a rich sound yeah. with rhythms mm. and um, lots of overtones. You know, they like the, the phosphor bronze strings and so on. Mm. Uh, you play more like the Egypt style, like a oud <clears throat> or something like that, which is true because I, I had a lot of inspiration from the Mediterranean. So uh, he made a couple of instruments for me, but then uh, interest grew in, in Sweden about what I was doing and some of the luthiers, instrument makers, approached me and said, I want, I want to make an instrument like yours. And, uh, and they started experimenting. And ever since the, those days, there have been, there are a lot of luthiers in Sweden making those instruments. Mm. They're working full time, and and uh, people really like them. So, yeah, they're very much a part of the Swedish tradition at this point. I would say, like, I know so many young musicians who have who play like the the sitern as their main instrument and consider themselves a folk musician. Uh, yes, which I find really interesting that it's actually possible to introduce still new instruments to the tradition and and uh, have them really be adopted as true folk instruments. Um. That's interesting, and and uh, and um, uh, my first instrument actually is now in a museum, as being uh, the first of of a new traditional instrument, just like you say, because uh, to them, it's the interesting thing is not if an instrument is old, but if many people 
enough people start playing it mm. and it's, it's spreading, then it becomes a modern folk instrument. And there are many new instruments coming like that, special percussions instruments in there. And also now you can have folk music playing a saxophone or a cello or something like that, which is was a dream when we started. Can you imagine that? Uh, let's say 1981 or something like that. Mm. that. Back in those days, that was one of the the goals for, for what we were doing. Let's hope for a future where you can be uh, a traditional mus musician on any instrument, on the piano, yeah. if you're good enough. Mm, exactly. But uh, let's go back to uh, when you when you moved to Dalarna then. Um, how were your um, uh, approach to folk music received by the, the people in the tradition at that point? Differently, because uh, from the organizations, I mean, people, there are these kind of, you know, institutional organizations uh, for folk music, and they were not too nice actually one of the, the chairman once approached me and said we have been discussing you in the board okay. <laughs> and uh, it would be really great if you can stop playing <laughs> okay <laughs> isn't that weird <laughs> it, was, it was such a weird moment and since i'm a, sometimes quite quick and smart sometimes i say <laughs> I answer. I just gave him the answer. Oh, what a pity! Because I really love the way you play. Yeah, which actually wasn't really true. But no. Anyway. <laughs> but but what? what, oh, oh, what and and what? he said, "Oh, is that so?" I, well, of course, there must be room for for the both of us, you know. Yeah, well, a <laughs> things a like that. But a that was tough days. And and with every interview, can you do this with folk music? Are yeah. you allowed to do this? Right and wrong discussed all the time. And mm. after a couple of years, I became so tired of answering those questions, which mm. I find not interesting at all. No. Um, then I said to myself, I, I, I will not take interviews for a while. I'll, I'll um, practice a lot more, practice very much more. And I practice more and more. And let's say in this music, only play, playing in three parts, for instance, I just checked and I, I made a list and there were more than 30 different ways of playing three-part music. And um, and I said to my, I must learn all these different ways. I must be able to perform in a way that people can hear that this guy, is no, he knows what, what he's doing. Mm. So shut up and be better. That was the message to myself. And I also had my new instruments which gave me a richer sound. Mm. Uh, so that was I was really happy. That was very inspiring days, and in we made so many experiments and so many trying so many things. I also had a dancing group because this music was created as dancing music back mm. in the days, mm. and um, you can perform it as concert music, but the inspiration is for dancing mm. so I had a test group when I composed new music and let's say what if I compose in in five eight time could could you dance to that how about if I uh, over exaggerate the triplets in this music mm. how would that affect your your way of dancing and uh, please check how about this one is this tempo too slow and so on could you actually dance on top of a cross rhythm if I play this 
this rhythm could you dance ac across the bar line and, and you know, huh. things like that. Interesting. Really interesting. Is, is, is this uh, the time about the time where your album Bosuki Spellman was yes. released? Yes, that was the, the, my first. Uh, that that was my first under my own name, where I was trying these new ideas. Mm. Yeah, I find that to be a very inspiring album. Like as you say, you can hear that you're trying all of these different things, and you're not afraid of what people will say of it, or if it's right or wrong. And yeah, truly inspiring, really. Thank you. Thank um, you. When I listen to it, I still find it very fresh. Mm. But I can also hear a lot of things that I've changed over the years in in the way of playing. Obviously, it's always uh, musical things. I wouldn't do that today. I wouldn't strike that way. You know, straight with a plectrum, with a pick. It's uh, it's very tricky to follow the bowings, for instance. So some of my earlier records, also some of my Norwegian records, I I say, ah, if I've done it today, I would have done it differently. Mm. But it's fresh and we had a good time yeah 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 it must be inspiring to have <laughs> your whole uh that was such a diverse career as you have had like and you can go back and listen to all of this that's where i was at that point in time and that's what i was into and um but but um uh, what was very different because i came from i not only jazz playing but also play with popular rock musicians and and things like that pop musicians you might say and uh, so i i was used to playing at at festivals and stuff like that and then you come to folk music and all of a sudden nobody really cares there's a bunch <laughs> of people who really loves it yeah but it's a smaller crowd and you don't have an official place in 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 culture anymore mm. which is also strange and very very different from most places in the world mm. Uh, so that was a new thing, but I didn't care because I just loved it and playing in small places and playing for dancing and uh, playing also uh, these traditional fiddlers, they love playing without an audience. We meet and play in a kitchen, mm. uh, kitchen playing, we call it, which is just lovely because we just love the music and, and do it not for the audience, not for the money, yeah. but for the joy of music. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Like when I got into, well, my folk music journey started with Irish music. So I I moved to Ireland and lived there for a couple of years. Uh, okay. And then when I got back to Norway, I felt more at home in the folk scene than the jazz scene. So I started getting into Norwegian music, and I discovered this community where people were so passionate about the music. And as I said, there's there's no money at all in this music. <laughs> like, no. and and most people in Norway they don't even know that it exists. Like they, as you said, they have some idea about some people in national costumes playing the hardanger, but they don't really know what the music sounds like. So you're into this, uh, this, this type of music that, uh, it, <laughs> well, well, how should I put it? It's, it's just a very nice feeling to be part of something that's uh, so many people are so passionate about, even though there's no money and no one cares. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, at the same time, I, I know exactly what you mean, and and you have to love the music. If you don't love the music, but actually, uh, I, I think that's a wonderful thing because to many musicians, some of the younger musicians I meet today, especially if they're into pop music, they are taught that the interesting thing they love music because we all 
we all start because we love music. Uh, that doesn't differ from any genre. But they soon learn that the interesting thing is what can this music give me mm. that it's not musical of a career? How many, and, and if you have an interview with the rock musicians, the journalist will not ask about the, the process of composing or no. the feeling of the music, but how many copies sold? How. Uh, high on the on on the top lists, you know. Yeah. How many uh, likes on on uh, Facebook? You you know, and um, that is strange because these people, if if the music do not give them the career that they are expecting, they get very disappointed with music. It's mm. not the fault. Of, it's not. It's not the music is not to blame. It's the business. It's the industry. Mm. And like you said, I I just met. Uh, a couple of years ago, I met, met a fiddler on an airplane, and he said, Ole, we are so lucky. What do you mean? We are so lucky with my band, because nobody likes us, actually. So we can do whatever we, we like. <laughs> we can play just the music we love. We are so happy. Yeah. And it, what he meant was, they have a crowd. They have a crowd, but mm. a small one. Mm. And that's enough for them. And uh, there's no pressure. There's no manager to tell them that you can't do this or that. No. Well, that's true. Like, yeah, I think that's the best way to approach a music career, like to make sure that you're doing something you love uh, more than like chasing, what, what, like what's the trends? What, what's, what should I be doing to get more followers, money? I don't know. Um, yes, we are lucky because we, we play music that isn't so popular. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> but how were you received? Uh, did you play when you started playing with with uh, folk fiddlers? Did you play the piano, the keyboard? Well, at that what point, instruments you play? Uh, yeah, at, at that point, I'd already been playing the accordion, like the piano accordion, for a good few years. Uh, but I was very into the Irish tradition, so I was able to play like Phil Cunningham and Alan Kelly, those guys. I was into like playing <laughs> fast reels and stuff like that. But I didn't know what I was doing with the left hand and so I had a hard time making the accordion f or my style of accordion fit into the Scandinavian music so uh, I took up the reed organ um, which has been my like main instrument perhaps um, and lately I've also started playing the uh, harmonica uh, inspired by you among others um, Exactly. <laughs> so, but but I feel like Norway, in many ways, are behind Sweden a bit when it comes to uh, because the first thing I did when I got into the Norwegian scene was that I, I put a band together. I, I didn't know what I was what I was doing, but you play the fiddle and I know you and you're a nice guy. Let's play some folk music. And like, first of all, none of the other folk musicians had ever played in a band ever. So they like okay chords. How does that work? Uh, and I didn't know what I was doing, so I like put all of these horrible chords to the to the hardanger tunes, which which makes me ashamed when I listen to it today. But <laughs> but it was a great learning experience, uh, and and I feel like things are happening in the Norwegian scene now uh, fast. But I think the the Swedish scene is like twenty years ahead when it comes to, uh, and probably thanks to people like you who who started uh, introducing these ideas uh, a, a bit earlier. And you've even introduced those ideas in Norway yourself. I know you've been playing with uh, Hardanger Fiddlers back in the 90s. And 
Um, yeah, maybe you could talk a bit about that as well. How was your um, um, how was it to enter the Norwegian scene? That was um, I, I was listening to uh, to some of the Norwegian fiddling, which I really love, and also uh, the tradition bit that uh, connected to the Hardanger fiddle has so many musical things there that I love, and uh, I had a. I knew that one of my heroes, Gunnar Stubb, said he was about to, to visit the same festival as I did. And uh, so I prepared three of his tunes. Okay. And, uh, and uh, that's the way, very typical me, I just knocked on his door and said, Hello, I'm Ole Möller of Sweden and I have this instrument. Would you like to play with me? <laughs> oh, mine do dear. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I come in and we started to play. Unfortunately, I've chosen the most, one of the absolutely most tricky, the trickiest tunes you could ever choose. And his tradition from South Norway, Setestal, is also in your country regarded to be very tricky to, to, to capture. And I've took, stupidly enough, one of the most tricky ones. And uh, the Shalmoy Slaje, famous tune, yeah. <laughs> and I played it off. I played it backwards. Okay, it's really amazing. Bam da da dam da. Very English, but it goes bam karu Okay, it goes off beat all the time. Mm. So he said, "Nay, the ship plant." Nay, nay, the bit nay. The English and the tear. Nay. So. But then there was another tune that I got the right way. Okay. Sordölen. Yeah, that's a good said, one. Wow, yeah. this is nice. This is mm. nice. And we became friends and, and made a lot of touring and a couple of records together. And, ah, and good stuff story. Like that. <laughs> the, the structure of those melodies are different because they are, they are uh, comprises of small themes that you variate mm. in a long chain. Sure. To me, a picture was like... Uh, you know, if you do, is this what you call a bracelet? Mm, right, the husband. Yeah. No, that's for the wrist, I think. Yeah, whatever. Oh, okay. Uh, whatever. Necklace. Is necklace. Mm. And you just take a blue one on the thread, and then you take a, another blue one, and you have a light blue one, a version of the same theme, with maybe with different bowing. And then you have two green ones, and the exactly. blue again, mm. and red. And I, that's the way they are, they are. these tunes are built. It's mm. very interesting. And very tough to learn. Yeah. And also because in that tradition, it's more variation than, than what you normally find in Swedish fiddling. Mm. Because uh, since they always play alone, they can variate. Maybe they decide to take four of the green ones and and go back to the red one again before entering the next, you know. The yeah, and they just oftentimes just improvise this on the spot in yes. the moment. So it's it must be hard like <clears throat> playing and like a... And uh, a backing instrument to someone who is approaching the, the music like that. Yes, and I talked to this guy Gunnar when we played, and and he said, "Okay, I, I think I have to decide how many times. Maybe we should fix it. Like I play it four times, and then uh, blah blah blah." And I said, "No, I don't like that because you should play because the reason you play it three times this day and four times a, a different day." Is because you feel differently. Mm. You play until you feel that it's time to go to the next one. Exactly. So if you play true, 
if you are true to to the way you feel, I will I will follow you very mm. much easier, because then it's a logic uh, that has to do with the temperament and the spirit of the music. Mm. And as a jazz musician, you are quite you know how to do that. I mean, you have been through that so many times, just mm. as I have. Mm. How did we know that we should do this? Because we just knew. Yeah, and we listen. And, uh, yes, open ears and open to something happening in the music. Mm. And that uh, that was happened with uh, with Gunnar, that um, I said, just do it your way. And it also happened once on stage that he played a theme that I'd never heard before. And I asked him, what was that? Is that the part of that tune? Yeah, my yeah, Drango, she has built it here. Okay, this guy, you know, just mm. adding things that he heard from different places. And I'm, I, I love the open attitude. Mm. Uh, it's not like in jazz; it's totally up, up, uh, open. Mm. But uh, there are variations, possibilities for variations that has to do with what, how do I feel now? Exactly. Not what ha- have I decided uh, last week? Mm. Hmm. And how was the reception on the Norwegian scene when you started working with Gunnar? Well, it was ups and downs again. Mm. Some people saying this is not correct. Other people saying I love this, and they could, of course, they knew that I had respect for the music since they know how much work it is, mm. uh, because it's just not not just strumming in the background. But no. I had to learn every little thing, and sure. and also finding out what is the story. That's always very important for me. What is the story of this tune? And it isn't like one tune has one story. Uh, each tune is given a story uh, by the player. The yeah. player gives it a meaning. So, what do this guy want to tell? Is this this is some light coming in? Is this is just like floating here? It comes dark colors, and since I have a wider range, you know, I started with having instruments um, with uh, not the big range, but. Uh, one of the consequences of being uh, a musician of today is that we love bass. Yeah. And on the fiddle, you don't have big bass, but everybody like, that's power. Exactly. So, of course, I added a bass string and another bass string. And then I extended that bass string. So now I can go down to the deepest uh, string of a double bass on my mandola. Oh really? And oh. and I also added top strings so I can go really bright. I can go to the range from a mandolin down to the double bass on the same instrument, mm. which gives me a lot of opportunities. And I love to being a one man band together with, let's say, a fiddle or something, or a singer, or yeah. something like that. Yeah, I've always been like fascinated by the sound of those instruments that you're referring to now, like the, the bouzouki types instruments, that uh, you're able to have to provide such a complex sound and like you can pick out you can go from like playing more like strumming kind of backing to like pick out melodies or play counter melodies and all of a sudden there's the bass coming in on the b part and uh it's really a it's really an amazing instrument i have to learn it someday <laughs> oh yes you do yes you do you can borrow mine and yeah. see if you like it but uh, it's lovely and it gives um i I, my love for improvising is is uh, huge. I, I really need to improvise, be able to do that. Mm. So when I learn a tune, I always try to um, to uh, I sit and play along with a recording, 
normally and I say, remember, I can do this. Here's the melody. I learned the melodies. I learned the counter melodies. I learned the second voice melody. I learned, I, I choose chords. And when I do chords, what I've learned in Greece is very useful. That is, never use any note in your chords that isn't in the melody. No. That's a basic modal principle. You shouldn't, not one note in the chord and not even in ornaments. You know, when I played with, with my bazooki teacher, if I did an ornament that had a note that wasn't in the scale, I would say, no, 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 respect. Yeah. Even if, if it's just, let's say it's a trill. Mm. In that scale, the trill should be a minor third. Not, uh, mm. uh, you know, very interesting because, uh, so that was very strong in that music. And it's very useful because... If you do it like that, when you're putting chords to folk melodies, Nordic melodies, mm. you will stay in the mode. And if, let's say that the tune gives you two versions of the of the third note, for instance, in the scale, yeah. then you can use both. Yeah. Uh, but don't put in, you know, progressions like in jazz. I love jazz progressions and all that, but it's a totally different way of doing things. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's really useful advice, yeah. Like, n yeah, like not play, not play a my like a, a flat seven if there's a major seven, in in the melody in a way. Yeah. Hmm. And 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 find the scales and and uh, because you all you can always if you have the mode the scale the basic scale, uh, then you can find the chords, using those notes. Hmm. So instead of using normal chords like you know the. In, in ordinary way, like Western way of doing it, you should mm. have uh, just use those chords, and f but you can use them very delicate. Mm. And I also another the second rule for me is that the drones should be welcome in any chord. The two, the, the first and the fifth note of the scale, yeah, should sh uh, should be welcome no matter what chord you play, which gives the color of very much the color of this music, which mm. is drone-based music. Mm. Similar to some of the Irish music. There are similarities, but also differences. Yeah. And Irish tunes are usually based on, like, it's very recognizable. This is a sort of a Mixolydian tune. Uh, this is a uh, Dorian tune. And, and I yeah, I think I'm actually approaching that music in the way you just described without uh, maybe even realize that. But... Um, I will definitely <laughs> start yeah, applying okay, that in, yeah. in Nordic music as well. But but um, that, that's easy. And, and just like you said, in, in Irish music and especially in, in Greek music and Turkish music, the scales are very fixed. Mm. There are so many scales and you have to learn them all. And also, uh, what are the chords I, I can use in the different modes? Mm. Uh, and, and they have also the tradition where the scale... Is different going up, coming from up, or coming from the downside of yeah. the scale. Mm. So, uh, and uh, the very intricate and very interesting, extremely interesting. And and uh, you know, I have friends in India, for instance, and and uh, where e this this way of making music is even more uh, advanced, especially in the classical music of, of India. Mm. And uh, so you can learn a lot from that. And I put that into how the way I treat. 
the uh, the Nordic fiddle music definitely. But but I feel like this is a good point to start talking about uh, the, spe- the, the the intonation that's specific to the Scandinavian music, because that's that's a part of the the tradition that I have uh, started to think about uh, only recently, uh, because uh, like how how should I. Yeah, as you know, like uh, the the old the, the old fiddle tradition in the Scandinavian countries, they didn't play the notes that you can find on the piano necessarily because it was uh, mostly played on the fiddle or other instruments uh, that had uh, that didn't <laughs> had to relate to uh, the stu- music that Bach played. So that obviously resulted in uh, people playing the third on, on different places and the sixth uh, and all that stuff. And when you try to approach that music on instruments with frets or uh, with reeds that are tuned to a specific uh, pitch uh, it all becomes very complicated and uh, for the longest time I had I, I've had to ask fiddlers to kind of change their style so that it would work with me like <laughs> if if we're playing if you if you're gonna play the this melody in unison with me on the accordion you have to play it this way and I started I started feeling bad for like having asking them to change the tradition just so this strange German invention would like fit in somehow. So I and and I know you had you probably had a sim, similar feeling when you you brought the bazooki into the Swedish world. Um can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, exactly the same. I I was playing with fiddlers and they were said uh, no no that's not correct. That note is not correct. And uh, I realized it was the third, and uh, I said, "Okay, he wants a minor there instead of the major." And I played the minor and said, "No, no, and it's not correct." No. And I, I listened to him, and he played something in between uh, these two fixed positions, and uh, I realized how can we deal with this because mm. it's uh, it's really beautiful the way uh, that is used when it's used in a quite a delicate way these variations on intonation is really a part of the music. Mm. Uh, so I went, that was in my early days, so I took my instrument and uh, I called um, Stefan Sobel in England and said, could you actually put quarter note frets on on the, on the fretboard of your instruments? And he said, no, Ali, don't ask me to do things like that, please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He wouldn't do it, <laughs> but um, fortunately, there were already at that time a few luthiers here interested in in that instrument. So, mm. uh, so they started doing that, and I got my fretted instruments with quarter, uh, which I still have. Maybe I should give you a demonstration. Sure, it would be great. So is is this what you would call a uh, lot mandola? Yes. <coughs> this is my main instrument. So first of all, as you can see here, these strings are extended so I can play really low notes. Yeah. And this is the lowest. Yeah. That's a G of the double mm. bass. Then I have these small capos here. I just do like this, and I get an A. Uh-huh. Huh. Huh. 
Yeah, and that's that's a that's a quarter note frets. This is very useful because I also play with Arabic music or like uh, West African, where they love this scale. So this is used in many places of the world, and uh, it's interesting to learn. How I also have pinpoint. I have nice features here. I can just do like this. Now I have an open A tuning with the B on top. Oh yeah, I understand. I yeah, just, I just do like this, and I have a totally different. I just have small things coming up, pinpoint capos, and if I want really extra ones, I have. Pinpoint cake because I can put in any position of the fretboard, just like this. So there are many, three types of capos, all uh, just uh, reaching one string at a time. Huh. So we call them pinpoint capos. <laughs> huh. And that was that that concept was in, invented for that instrument, basically. Yes. Huh. Yeah. There are some inspiration uh, on on the bass side. Uh, double basses in symphony orchestras sometimes have those yeah, strings that's true. when yeah. they have extended strings. So you can find inspiration in different places, mm. but mainly it's a, a feature. But I, I think that's uh, great that they, it's it's still possible to invent new instruments. Yes. Uh, and like you said, Anders, earlier on you said it's confusing. Is it a sitan, a bazooki? Is it a madola? Yeah. How do you spell it and so on? Mm. That's one of the wonder th wonderful things is that when it comes to uh, uh, this kind of music, it's not fixed. It's moving. It's changing. Mm. Let's say in, in classical music, since you have symphony orchestras, you're not allowed to change the instruments anymore. In the early days, they did a lot of experimenting, the luthiers. And uh, now, uh, because you, you need to be replaceable. If you take the oboe, or let's say you take the French horn out, Yeah. Another person comes in. It must have the same range and the same fingering. True. So that's why th that question: What is that instrument? Mm. How um, and so? What's it called? It depends on who you're talking to. Yeah. And with with the plucked instrument that I uh, care for about uh, playing with with the fiddle music, there are many 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 talented players now doing their own things. Mm. Maybe they were inspired by my playing in the beginning, but now I got inspiration from them because they are doing different things. They have different tuning. There are many different ways of tuning. And which one is correct? Nobody knows. It's open. Mm. And also now uh, the 12 string guitar, like Robert Alderut, great player, friend, uh, he does his own thing and it's and people can connect also because the the guitar is easier to find and, yeah. and his great playing and so mm. there are many many good players now yeah and uh, they're all playing differently differently mm. yeah yeah I, I really find the the folk scene in both sweden and norway to be really exciting these days like so much interesting stuff is happening 
Uh, yes. So it's it's great. It definitely is, and it's opening, and it's always for the better. It's becoming more and more natural that you could do different things, and and the people who uh, who were in the beginning uh, so reluctant to accepting these instruments and ideas, you don't hear so often from no. them any any way nowadays. No. Yeah. And uh, that discussion, I think. The very last time I had discussed this in public was with Arbeiderblå uh, Oslo. Okay. <laughs> so they made the, the like the socialist the newspaper. That's uh, that had an interview, and I said, um, and I, that was about nationalism and folk music, mm. which is really interesting because. Uh, I got so much inspiration from uh, Mikis Theodorakis, this great uh, Greek composer. But years later, I realized that one thing was differently, because he always talked about Greek music and talked about the Greeks, the spirit of the Greek people, and that's quite natural because they had the, the you know they had the military junta, and they had uh, all these tr troubles. Like in Norway, which is also a nationalistic country, you had the struggles during the war. Sure. Uh, much more than Sweden that never entered the war. And, uh, and so on. So there are reasons for it. But I realized I don't agree with uh, Theodorakis that this music belongs to all the people. It, becomes to it belongs to groups of people within a nation. Mm. And the the, uh, to me, folk music... There are different ways of looking upon it. The, the, the least interesting uh, identity for folk music is the national one. Because it's not hmm. true. There's no music that is national. It's local. Yeah. And it's very personal. It depends mm. on who do you play with. Who are your friends? You will sound like your friends. And you will sound like people you hear around you. Which is the local aspect. Yeah. The national aspect is construction. So you you want construction. You won't sound in a specific way just because of your passport. Is is what you're saying in a way? Exactly. Very good. That's the way to put it. And if you especially if if you live along the borders, of course you listen to the friends on the on the other side of the border. And we are lucky in Scandinavia because the borders, when it's not Corona, the borders are open. And, yeah. Uh, and it's so easy, it's so natural. If you live on, in West Sweden, of course, you have friends in Norway. Mm. And you listen to them. The music is a mixed. So the national aspect is not of interest to me, but it's used to because of nationalism to emphasize their ideas of, of a nation. But anyway, coming back to, to the, uh, the, the Norwegian paper. And uh, so I said... Honestly, I don't think there is any Norwegian music. And there isn't any Swedish music at all. It's local music and so on. And then the headline was Svenska alle møller sier det finnes ikke noe norsk folkemusik. <laughs> there is no Norwegian music. That was a scandal. How can this bloody Swede say that there isn't any Norwegian folk music? And I had letters of hate coming from different really? parts of, of, of the country. Yes, Amazing. Yes. And uh, you Swedes has always been like that, trying to be big brother and blah, blah, blah. And why do you play uh, Norwegian music at all? Stay away from our music and huh. so on. Incredible. And I actually called one of the guys up in uh, Tromsø and uh, in, in northern Norway. And I asked him, 
what do you really mean? You, I shouldn't be able to play this music because I'm Swedish. No, of course not. Okay. And I said to myself, I will not tell him that I'm half Norwegian because that's tricky because I don't care about where I come from. No. Everybody has the right to play any music. So I didn't say that. And I said, but what if a, a Norwegian would like to play Swedish music? Should they be allowed? No, 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 of course not. Okay, what if a Norwegian should want to play German music, like Mozart? They know hell don't. That's totally different. Yeah. Is it? Okay, if someone wants to play American music. And so on. We had a great discussion. And mm. he, he still hates me. I, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Okay, uh, really interesting stuff. Like I'm sure I'll probably listen to this interview over and over. I've learned uh, a lot, I think. Uh, but I I don't want to keep uh, keep you all day. Um, but could we just wrap up uh, with? Uh, could you just tell us about the stuff that you have going at the moment? Uh, because I'm sure you haven't retired quite yet. No. <laughs> uh, actually, my friend called me when Corona started, the COVID, and he said. Look, Ola, this is really good for you. It's not good for the country, but it's good for you because now you should practice. And I said, yes, I, I'm really planning to practice all my instruments because I play some. No, no, I'm not talking about instrument. You should practice how to become an old man. You're not good at it. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine that? He's a great friend. <laughs> anyway, um, after playing folk music for many years, I realized that one of the a few things that is really important to to divide, uh, to differ um, a living tradition from a non-living tradition. Mm -hmm. And uh, because I love the idea of a living tradition and the living tradition has a couple of features that you can find. One, it's changing. It's very mm. open to changing. Mm. Secondly, it's not afraid of its own time. What does that mean? It's v afraid of its own time. It means that so much of the music uh, of the musicians that I found find in folk music, they are kind of afraid of what's going on, and they are thinking that old days were much better. And what people did in the old days, if they decided to play upside down on the fiddle, I can do it because they did it. Mm. Instead, I said, if you want to play upside down, do it. If you want to play it on a whatever instrument, and then, but no, no, I, I cannot do that. But if then he, we realize in the archives that someone was doing it 200 years ago in some remote area of this country, mm. then, then he could do it. You know, it's like they are right and, and you diminish yourself to become less important than your forerunners. Yeah. That's being afraid of your own time. Not exact, except you're being, let's say, exile in time. Yeah, that's, exile in that's time. interesting. Tidens yeah. exile. Hmm. Um, so, and also... That uh, one, two, three, four, was it three or four? But anyway, um, you should, folk music should reflect the society, the ideas and the feelings of how many, uh, what is happening in, in society. That's also a uh, knowing that it's a living tradition, it's, that is vivid. And to me, so many immigrants now coming from the rest of the world to our countries and they are mute just like i said before the greek instrument maybe could there are greeks in sweden why shouldn't we hear that in the folk music so to me i have started many many projects where i invite immigrant musicians 
and uh, I find that very, very inspiring. What I'm doing, what I'm aiming for is creating something new out of the meetings, let's say, colliding differences and finding a way to use that to create something new. Mm. So that's uh, one of the things I really love. I have bands like you. Have, let's say you have a jazz quartet. Everybody knows everybody had listened to the same records. And it's beautiful because you can play so easy because everybody knows the same things. Exactly. That's wonderful. Mm. But let's do, let's say, what happens if you do the opposite? And uh, you meet with people that don't have the same references at all. And you have to find new ways. Something, and you say, da 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 da, and you don't get the splash. No. You get something totally different. Yeah. <laughs> a totally different answer to, to the given question. Oh, sorry. I thought I had flight mode. Yeah, well. <laughs> I didn't. There we are. Um, where were we? Yes, so I've had those really many collaborations with immigrant musicians. and mis It's not actually ethnical that you have to be from Africa or India or something. You have to play, you have a different mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And, and also uh, collaborations with jazz. And nowadays I'm composing a lot for symphony orchestras, classical musicians. Mm. And uh, they have a different mindset. They have learned music in a totally different way. Lots of the things that I can do easily, they cannot do. But no. they can do fantastic things that I cannot do. Sure. Because they have a different training, a different mm. way of thinking. So these things interest me a lot. And I've made a series of records now, the, let's say the, the last 10 or 15 years, with that, that, that kind of projects, mixing. To me, it's important to always have also traditional music as a part of the band. Mm. Because instead, of, I don't want to have my tropical hat and say, look how great these people from, from all over the world are. Mm. But our music should be also mixing a, a part of the band, part of... A, You know, part of the family, not mm. superior, but a part of the family. And uh, I like that. Yeah. It's really inspiring. I think the last time I saw you play live was in Oslo, maybe a couple of years ago, with, uh, I think I think you call it Alle Mölle Trio, with you and okay. uh, Ole Linder, and, and I can't think of the pianist. Ma Mats Ullari. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah, classic Alle Mölle project, just all these crazy ideas put into a band, and somehow it just all works <laughs> my tree is special to me because for the first time you know I've, I've been to different changas of course like we have been talking today and then I said when I turned 60 I said I gave myself a present and that is let's form a band where everything that is in this old head is now welcome mm. even the things I heard as a kid things I heard on the radio old pop tunes folk music Balkan music everything that's there is welcome So it just took a while to find the right musicians that I have yeah. uh, that are as crazy as I am. But <laughs> that's really funny. We do all the things. It's not it's not changas. It's just like uh, we just play for fun. Yeah, and I find that as I said many times now, very refreshing and very inspiring. So um, yeah, I think maybe we should wrap up. So uh, you have. Uh, 
<laughs> so you can spend the rest of the day out in the sun. I see it's very nice and warm outside. It's it's sunny and I, I, yes, it's 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 getting a lovely day. It's becoming a lovely day, so I'll, I'll have fun. I can just mention my uh, my latest project. Sure, it's a new record that was released a week ago called Xenomania. And Xenomania, of course, is Greek and it means uh, the love for for um, for the unknown. Xeno is the foreigner, and mania is is crazy about it. Of course, the uh, so it's the opposite of xenophobia in a way. <laughs> definitely, but I'm a xen- xenomaniac. You bet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just so natural for me. If I hear something really weird and different, I I have a, tons of fun, and I like mm. it, and I want to learn it, and. And uh, I get happy, so I'm a xenomaniac. And uh, in this project, uh, I formed a new band, with a nine-piece band, which is a bigger one uh, than I normally have. And uh, I have a horn section, and I have two percussion players, which is really nice, because um, it gives me some of the, uh, uh, let's say, the experiences from jazz music that I can use. But it, this is world music. This is my, this is inspiration from from my travels and people that I've met. So mm. it's Xenomania. Uh, do you have any gigs booked at the moment or is that all? Yes, we have actually a, a release tour starting in in two weeks. Two weeks of touring, all cancelled. There you go. <laughs> so I have lots of touring. I uh, was supposed to be in in the UK now with my friend Ali Bain, the Shetland filler, yeah. and, uh, and Bruce Molsky, mm. an American friend. All cancelled. Everything is cancelled. Should hmm. be in in uh, in the Reunion Island, which is uh, an island in in the uh, outside of Madagascar. Cancelled, cancelled, cancelled. So it's it's like it is. Hopefully, we get an end to this soon. Yeah, and and I've had a chance to to check out your newest album, and uh, yeah, great stuff. I really like the track Veder Halling. Yes, <laughs> it's just uh, yeah, such a brilliant yeah way of combining all of these different influences thank you but uh Almerir, thanks for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom with us uh, i'm sure you've inspired more than me and um, hope to get to see you in real life someday soon that will be lovely all the best take Th- care take care hey, Bye. Anders. thanks for listening to this episode of the folk music podcast as always, you can find additional information about the episode on the show website at thefolkmusicpodcast.com. And you can also follow the show on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. So um, hope to see you there as well. And as always, I'm grateful for any uh, feedback when it comes to the show. So if you have uh, ideas for topics or guests, um, or if there's anything else you want to uh, to to talk to me about, please send me an email at thefolkmusicpodcast at gmail.com or you can also reach out to me on social media. So yeah, looking forward to uh, to hear back from you. So uh, that's it for this uh, week's episode. feels great to be back at it. Um, as I said, I have a bunch of really interesting guests lined up for the coming weeks. So uh, really looking forward to this season of the Folk Music Podcast. See you next week. Take care.